arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Here, one of our aircraft, an Avenger, returns with a missing left wheel and makes a safe landing. The plane handling crews take every precaution. Another pilot brings down a damaged hell diver, which is minus its tail hook. As the plane can't be stopped by the arresting gear, the pilot must rely on his brakes. This ship is trailing smoke as the pilot covers the last yards to the carrier. You're listening to the type of planes that would have gone on dry runs at Flanagan Field atop the hill at Prince William during World War II. More on this after a word from our sponsor. The book, Anthony's Story. It's more to Katrina's little talk in the Club Max parking lot than Jones thought. Jones investigates Flanagan Field and Lou Marlowe's company. Warren Carruthers has unintended information. Who else will die, I ask you? Who else? I'm Robert P. Fitton, author of this topsy-turvy novel, Anthony's Story. Episode 3 begins now. Anthony's Story by R.P. Fitton. Chapter 12. Crosstown Bridge Maintenance Facility, 63 River Drive, Prince William, New Hampshire. Jones parked his Jeep in the maintenance building's empty parking lot. No one was around on a Saturday. He looked up at the Crosstown Bridge's concrete pillars and metal bridge supports. A few sailboats moved along the river and under the bridge as the traffic was light on the weekend. Jones turned and immediately spotted the green gate under a bunch of spreading maples. As he stepped closer, he could see that the green paint around the lock was scraped to the metal. He vaulted the gate, but as he landed on the dirt, Jones saw someone duck behind the maintenance building. For at least a minute, he stared at the building. When he was convinced that no one was following him, he started up the dirt slope. There were wide tire tracks in the dirt. He stayed to the side and moved onto the forest floor as to not leave a trail of footprints. Jones was immediately sure, once he reached the concrete about a half a mile ahead, that this road was not only active, but used for some purpose. He turned quickly when he heard something in the bushes off the road. Once convinced nothing was there, he continued on the rising road as it wound through the forest. Five minutes later, the road leveled and extended directly into the woods ahead. Again, something scurried through the woods. Okay, why don't you just come out and tell me what the hell you want? Then he heard a voice from behind a large erratic rock. I don't know nothing about nothing. Jones pressed his lips. I hate to ask this question, Bucky, but why are you following me? How do you know it's me? Come on out. Bucky, wearing a camouflage air warden hat, peered around the rock. Sorry I stole your girl. Do I look upset? And she wasn't my girl. Oh, she and I... Wait, who is she, Bucky? Cat? Is she a real social worker? She's a doctor, argued Bucky. Yeah, right. Did she help Kostecki get out of the hospital? 
Go now. He was a no-show at breakfast. Well, let me ask you this. Shoot. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Huh? Was there anyone else around that morning that Kostecki left? Food guide? A woman who brings the newspapers? Let's see. Uh, cops asked me the same thing. Agent Mulvaney was mad at me. He said that he'll go and ask somebody who had half a brain. But I'll solve this Marlowe murder. Bucky, don't think you're going to get involved in the Lou Marlowe case. Oh, yeah, smarty pants, he said as he wobbled around the rock in his Bermuda shorts. Bucky's striped tank top was moist and sweaty. I know something you don't know. Jones walked over to him. How long have you been following me? Since the college. You and you and Professor Millhouse stepped out of the gym. Millington. Huh? asked Bucky, pulling up his shorts over his gut. What do you know? Something. Look, I'm hiking up to Flanagan Field. Do you know Carruthers? asked Jones as he started walking toward the end of the concrete road. I don't know no Carruthers, said Bucky as he followed behind. Cat said you two broke up. There was nothing to break up. I hardly even know the woman. I know who signed in, Don Kostecki. Jones stopped. Who signed in Kostecki? Cat. Katrina works there. She said that Sean Grogan submitted an affidavit to Chick Mulvaney. Grogan? Why Grogan? Don't know. Kostecki started yelling at a co-worker at the airport and threatened him. Kostecki had to be restrained by Mulvaney's boys later. She told you that? Yes, sir. That's inappropriate. Bucky pulled up his belt buckle. <laughs> she never touched me. Come on. Jones said nothing for the longest time as he started hiking up the trail. So Grogan was not involved in signing in Kostecki. Don't know. Thanks, Bucky. Anything else? Kostecki kept telling me they were going to get him. He was all drugged up and he couldn't sleep. Told me he was afraid for his life and had to get to the airport. I told him to grow up and stop his belly aching. Why the airport? What was there? Maybe you had a hot date. <laughs> right. Hey, I don't care what Annie says about you being a dummy. You can figure things out with your sidecar theories. Jones started moving again. Side road theories. Bucky trailed behind. Is that all? Hey, I know Katrina says you never gave her the football tickets. Well, that's the way it goes. Jones stepped onto the road that led through the trees to a brighter area ahead. Look, Bucky, does Katrina know Sean Grogan? Nope, the doc does not know him. Jones's cell phone rang. Well, she's not a doctor. Jonesy, I'll make this short and sweet. Our favorite strawberry blonde was brought into the county psychiatric hospital only two weeks ago. Somebody high up arranged it. That's incredible. And she lied. Somebody took a sticky out of the hospital. Maybe she cleared the way. And then Mulvaney shows up. Uncle Julio and his boys are looking for Newhouser. We need to know why the hell he was hanging out near Stewie and Susie Q. I don't think Herbert Lane and Kevin know any of this. Hey, Lane's got his own problems. Talk to you. Through the opening, Jones clearly saw a Carruthers shack in the sunlight. He stuffed the cell in his jeans pocket. What's to stop somebody flying in small cargo into this field and trek it down to the parking lot? <laughs> I'd get a chopper. Right, said Jones. Jones stepped onto the narrow field and imagined the outer trees being a part of a larger airfield years ago. Hey, what is this, a campground? We could have an overnight here, said Bucky, moving ahead. Make some s'mores. 
Bucky, stay back. Carruthers has a gun. <laughs> this guy ain't going to be scared by no BB gun. A bullet zipped through the grass and Bucky died to the ground. Warren, it's Matthias Jones. Bucky covered his helmet and kept his face down in the grass. Warren, I need to show you a picture of Don Kostecki. Why? asked the faraway voice in the shack. I need you to identify him. Go away, Joan. Hey, we have firepower, yelled Bucky as he stood. Bucky, you idiot, shut up. Who's with you, a cop? I'm a highly trained security expert. Carruthers fired again and Bucky leaped back into the grass. Huh, I don't want to die. Then shut your big mouth, will you? Jones scrambled back into the woods. Come on, Bucky. I ain't moving, said Bucky from the grass. Bucky, Warren Carruthers is a drinker. Now come on. Hey, don't tell me what to do. Another two shots cut the grass and Bucky rolled toward the woods. Jones helped him to his feet. Are you all right? Hey, how'd you like that move? Brilliant, said Jones sarcastically. Thanks, said Bucky, pulling up his shorts. Jones stared at Bucky. We'll loop back, but just clamp your mouth. Bucky pretended to lock his mouth. Jones rolled his eyes and started around the forest edge. Behind the shack, a few hundred feet away, was a long building with an open bay extending into the woods. Then Jones's phone rang again. He quickly switched to vibrate and his heart pounded. It was impossible to know if Carruthers heard the initial ringing. Sorry, butt dial, <laughs> said Bucky, laughing. You dope, said Jones, shaking his head. Butt dial from a butt head. I'm a professional. Jones stomped ahead of Bucky. He darted between the trees and hid behind an oak near the corner of the building. Then he walked slowly to the open window. Carruthers was in a rocking chair with the Jim Beam bottle in his hand. The rifle leaned against the wall. I'm right here, Warren. Carruthers slowly turned. His eyelids hung heavy and the shack reeked of booze. You bragging or complaining? Bragging, said Jones. Carruthers leaned back and laughed. <laughs> For now he was sober. Then he chugged more whiskey. I love you, Daisy May. With his phone in his hand, Jones entered the shack. Kostecki's photo from his wife's wallet was now on the screen. Carruthers dabbed his head with the faded red handkerchief. I have something for you. Gonna shoot me with that phone? <laughs> he asked again, laughing. Unless you want to pose for a picture, said Jones, showing him the phone screen. Kostecki. You know him? Yeah. He helps load the planes. You mean the Marlowe companies? Yeah. He's worked up here weekend. The last ten years, does work for Grogan. Load the plane for what? asked Jones. Whatever the hell they're dealing with. I don't ask questions, Jones. I don't know nothing about what goes through here. Smart, said Bucky. I always say, monkey see, monkey do. Bucky, shut up. Is Sticky dead? asked Carruthers. Jones was taken aback. What makes you say that? He's Donnie. Got in some real bad stuff. People are after him. They brought the damn shoot up from PW Airport on Sunday. Did he pack it? No, I don't think so. He didn't pack shoots. He does the baggage over there and loads stuff here. Does odd jobs. What bad stuff is he into? Just know he's under a lot of pressure. Jones looked at the red handkerchief with black embroidered letters spread over Carruthers' pant leg. 
A-M-S. Kostecki is missing, said Jones. Kiss him goodbye, Jones, he said, cradling the glass bottle. I ain't safe up here either. Why? Why? Because Luke Marlowe took off right from here with Butch Olson flying the plane, and Kostecki was riding back last Monday. Now we're getting somewhere. Was Marlowe alive when the plane took off? Passed out. Jones's phone vibrated. Jones. Jonesy, Gallagher's going to help us. He's got a couple of members of the garden club to tour the Plumley estate. You're going with him. Jones stepped back through the rear doorway. I'm with Warren Carruthers. <laughs> Don't light any matches. You'll blow the place sky high. Hey, Gallagher just told me the garden tour is tomorrow morning. Coco, will you listen to me? Whoa! We need to get Warren out of here before they kill him. Aren't you getting a little worked up, Jonesy? Kostecki worked up here loading some kind of contraband, from what I can see, for years. They brought the chute over from the PW airport, and he loaded Lou Marlowe on the plane, passed out, and Olson flew the plane. Kostecki was also in the plane. So Kostecki went along for the ride and dumped the body while we were at the old man's party. That's right. He's under pressure from something else, Coco. Warren doesn't know what. Yeah, the old kook could be lying. I don't think so. Okay, I get it. And Carruthers does have a target on his back because if he saw what happened to Marlow. Listen, I'm going to have somebody drop a dime on this information to Lane right now. He'll get on it. Yeah, and we end up doing his job. Wow, the fool wants the publicity, Jonesy, and it'll get the old man off the hook. Just stay put until Lane gets there. I'm going to talk with Willie at the airport. Find out how Kostecki picked up that cut shoot. Anything else? Yeah, Uncle Dulio and his buddies are in Dulio's truck looking for new houses. Bucky held his cards at the table as Jones checked his watch. An hour and a half had passed. Warren Carruthers was now sobering up, laid down two kings and two threes. Daisy May! Daisy May! Who the hell is Daisy May? asked Bucky. Daisy May was so beautiful, answered Carruthers. Oh, your wife? asked Jones from the front window. Fox! Ah, she was hot, said Bucky. Ba 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 boom! Like to roll around in the backyard pond. Oh, wow said Bucky, his gray eyes opening wide. Right out in the open, huh? I've done some skinny dipping myself. Where did you meet her? asked Jones. He heard a helicopter in the distance. She just came out of the pond. Eh, I never get that lucky. Where was she from? asked Jones as he spotted the chopper moving toward the field. The woods. Come on, Matthias, she was a fox. No, said Carruthers. She was a real fox, an animal. I trained her myself. Jones shook his head and closed his eyes. Then he walked outside as the helicopter slowly moved over the treetops. He studied the white letters. Office of the District Attorney. Coco, you're so smart, said Jones under his breath. The helicopter landed and the wind blew back Jones's hair. Kevin Phillips and six men in body armor fanned out around the helicopter. Herbert Lane, wearing a camouflage baseball cap, walked toward Jones as the blades slowed. Some guy with a video unit followed Herbert Lane. What are you doing here, Jones? Hiking. 
Don't bullshit me, Jones. Did you make that call to my office? What call? Then it was Stefani. Look, Herbert, Warren Carruthers knows the whole story. Kostecki brought the shoot over here from the PW airport. Conjecture. Lou Marlowe was either unconscious or dead, and Kostecki loaded him on the plane. Hired by Hamilton Fletcher. You incompetent boob. As Carruthers walked outside, a series of shots echoed off the shack. Jones pushed Herbert to the ground. He saw the bearded Newhauser with a rifle near the tall pine on top of the hill. It's him! We have been set up, said Herbert. Now what do I do? Stop the video! Carruthers slowly collapsed to the ground. Phillips's men fired across the field into the wood as Phillips held up his gun and backed toward the shack. Carruthers is dead! Over the next four hours, Prince William police and overhead helicopters swarmed over the woods. Five towns had men up in the Devonshire hills. Carruthers' body had already been flown to the morgue. Herbert Lane was back in his office as Kevin Phillips and Jones engaged in a heated discussion after the helicopter returned. Bucky Driscoll, considered inconsequential, was allowed to slip back down the trail to the Crosstown maintenance facility. Two of Phillips's men ran from the woods. What happened? He's dead, Lieutenant. Damn, that man was a material witness, said Phillips, kicking the dirt. Did he bring Kostecki out of the hospital? asked Jones. No, but he knew who did. Who? asked Jones. I can't give you that information, Matthias. Stuart, said Jones as it came to him. Phillips stomped back. Now, how the hell can you possibly know that? It had to be him. Phillips shook his head with his mouth open and started back toward the shack. Are you going to look for Katrina Kimball? Who is she, really? Phillips turned and then walked back slowly. Obviously, she was put in there. And what about Mulvaney? asked Jones. Phillips ran his fingers through his hair. He's already committed a slew of felonies, Kevin. I, I can't discuss Mulvaney. Why? It'll all come out. I can see we need security on this case. Just back off, Matthias, for your own good. Anthony's Story by R.P. Fitton Chapter 11 Hamilton College Gymnasium Hamilton College Hamilton, New Hampshire Jones yawned and held the landline phone in his office at the gymnasium. He had spent the morning checking in with his players, making sure they were preparing for the dreaded summer sessions in August. His team's parents were also glad to get a call from the coach. But Katrina's meeting in the Club Max parking lot gnawed at his gut. He held his phone as he leaned back in the chair. Norman, Norman, we'll add to your routine when you get into the weight room. Just keep doing the squats so you can get off the line quickly. And stay off the suite. Exactly. Talk to you later, Norm. Jones leaned back in the chair and his cell phone rang, breaking his concentration. Good morning, Matthias Jones. You sound like a department store operator, Jonesy. Remember how no one was with Katrina in the parking lot? Somebody see her? asked Jones, yawning. No, the surveillance cameras, Jonesy. That was Grogan's guy, Stewie. What? Yeah, driving the silver-white Lamborghini. Where's this guy getting the dough for that car? 
Susie Q said that he was leaving the Marlowe Company. Yeah, what the hell is going on? She's shadowing people is what's happening. Here's what I think. Stewie's getting paid off. Not some piddly payoff. This is big time. Must be drugs or something ripped off. Wait, Coco, this comes right at the time that Kostecki leaves the hospital. Right. How does this woman fit into what happened to Marlow? Let me think about this. Yeah, you do that, Jonesy. I'm sure Lane is doing a lot of thinking this morning. See the front page of the Gazette? Let me look. I've been busy calling my team, said Jones as he dragged the paper across his assistant's desk and folded it open. Herbert Lane, caught as if he were dancing, held on to the redhead in full color. Oh, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Lane is done. Jones leaned back and locked Larson's old chair and almost fell over. As he pulled himself up, he caught sight of Stu and Susie Q behind Herbert Lane on the front page photo. Standing off to the side was a bearded guy with a headband and sunglasses. Who's the bearded guy? Coco paused for a second. I was so focused on Fat Boy that I missed it. That's Randy Newhauser hanging around Susie Q's table. Who's he? He's a nobody. Local union guy. Guy works construction. He's never given us any trouble at the club. I'll check it out. Listen, Jonesy, you need to get back to that lunatic, Carruthers. Find out if he knew Kostecki. Belay that. Find out if he was sober and he knew Kostecki. I'm meeting with John Millington in a few minutes. I want to know if there's another way up to Flanagan Field. Wonderful. You do that, Jonesy. I'll talk to you. Jones grinned and stuffed the phone in his pocket. His assistant coach wandered into the office carrying two cups of Big Mama's coffee. Perfect, Woozy. Late night, Matthias. As a matter of fact, it was. Club Max had a successful reopening. Woozy handed him the cup. I heard all about it from Mr. Driscoll. He said he left with your girl. She's not my girl. Jones shook his head and closed his eyes. Did he tell you that he was thrown out? Is that before Herbert Lane and his dancing girls? Before, said Jones, taking a gulp of warm coffee as he laughed. Why would Lane show up with those girls? He didn't, Woozy. He was going to question us, and a stooped-over man in a checkered shirt and beige cockies knocked on the doorframe. He had fluffy gray hair and silver spectacles and held a book under his arm. Good morning, gentlemen. John, thanks for coming over said Jones. My pleasure. Whenever I get to talk about the 1930s and 40s, I jump on it. I'm going to check out some files in the gym, Matthias. All right, I'll catch you later, Wooz. Have a good day, John, said Woozy as he headed into the locker room. Jones shook John's hand. Going anywhere this summer, John? Well, we're off to Michigan next week. Henry Ford Museum, Mackinac Island. Great. Glad I caught you. You wanted information on the Flanagan Field. I did, specifically entrances. People don't know this about Flanagan Field, but during World War II, the road from Penguin Gas was much wider for jeeps, even cars, but no trucks. Some trucks drove down from the quarries off of Route 32. Right. But the main supply road was at the end of the runway overlooking the ocean. John, there is no runway, just a small field. Au contraire. The actual land strip is overgrown. They used to use the strip to practice landings on aircraft carriers. 
Yet for you, Cossair was used up there, complete with a tail hook. Yes, it's thick with trees to the east where the old strip was, but the road was concrete, thick for transport vehicles. The road is approximately 200 yards through the trees where the elevation begins to go down. I've hiked up there with my kids, but it's weird. What's weird? There's always fresh tire marks on the hill, even though the trees are overgrown. You can see the road in the winter, but not the summer. So somebody's been driving up there. Probably kids, truck tires. Where's it come out? Oh, in back of the maintenance building for the Crosstown Bridge. On the Newtown side, of course. I never saw it, said Jones, because the new parking lot blends into it. There's a green gate maybe 50 yards past the parking lot. Very interesting. Well, I hope that helps. More than you know, John. I'm headed to the Colonial House, and then Sarah and I are going to visit Lark. He's insisting that Snooky McKenzie has come into his room. I saw Snooky once, John, in his shenanigans at one of my games. He's long gone out of town. I remember him as a player the first year I got here. He pulled some doozies. I'll tell you more stories when you want to have a few late-night beers. I'll file that one under, believe it or not. Okay, John, thanks again. John had been gone less than a minute when Jones heard a ruckus in the locker room. Hey, Matthias, shouted Arnie Dewis from the open doorway. The Buckster says things were rocking at Club Max last night. Arnie, get lost. He looked up at Arnie's bulbous nose and dark-rimmed glasses. Arnie, what do you want? Huh? Can't you see I'm busy? Buxter said that he left with your girl. Right. Thanks to your sister for almost running me off the road the other night. I can't help it if you drive like a little old lady. Jones stood and Arnie backed up. Touchy, touchy, he said, holding his palms up in the air. Wait, I have a message. From who? Slim. That guy? He says he wants to talk to you. You have my number, Arnie. He can meet me over here. Slim's a funny guy. Yeah, he's a laugh a minute. Now get lost. I have an appointment. You want me to hang around and take notes? Jones stepped toward him and raised his voice as he pointed at the door. Arnie, get out. Arnie scampered into the corridor and back toward the gym. Jones finished one of the personnel files, placed it in the filing cabinet, and walked out of his office into the gym. Woozy was typing profiles into the laptop in the bleachers. I worry about the line, Woozy. No protection for Lynn Millis. Oh, Millis can scramble, coach, said Woozy. Yeah, but he shouldn't have to. We've got to work on that line. Agreed. I'll be back in a few hours. I have to check something out in Prince William. The Marlow murder? Yeah. My dad used to say the more you learn, the more complicated it gets. Well, ain't that the truth. Oh, I had to throw Arnie Dewars out. What? He had a fire extinguisher out of the case. I have no idea what he was going to do with it. Something about the girls' field hockey team? Standing order. Arnie Dewars is not allowed in this gym. If Bucky didn't work here, I'd throw him out too. Anthony's Story by R.P. Fitton Chapter 13 Plumley Gardens and Museum Denton Flats Prince William, New Hampshire Bothered by Carruthers' death, Jones had not slept all night. He turned into the landfill before heading to Prince William. He spotted Slim down back near the construction debris. He pressed his lips, 
knowing that he would finally resolve Slim wrecking his front end. Muddy Jacobs, chomping on an unlit cigar, held up his hand for Jones to stop at the gate. Jones was in no mood for Muddy's antics. Muddy adjusted his green fishing hat. Stop right there, Couch. Just want to get rid of my trash, Muddy. No can do. What? I heard you planned to beat up Slim. Who told you that? Confidential. No one's going to beat up Slim. The person that told you that is probably a blabbermouth. You shouldn't talk about Wendell like that. Wendell? I've about had it with this whole thing. Honey said you'd pick a fight. Jones shifted the jeep and skidded forward. In the mirror, Muddy performed machinations with his hands as he danced in front of the gate. Jones thought Muddy flipped his middle finger at him. Jones stopped the jeep and rushed over to Slim, retreating by the dumpsters. All right, Slim, I've had enough. Slim turned, his face unflinching like a sleepy beagle. Then he slowly raised his hands. So, you gonna beat me up? No, said Jones. What do you want to tell me? Not gonna rain tomorrow. No, about my jeep. Arnie. Arnie made me do it. Jones shook his head. Well, I'm not surprised. Sorry. Okay, apology accepted. Now let's stop all this fight talk. I know it costs you money. Wish I had money, diamonds, or gold. I'd pay you back. Right, we all wish for things, Slim. Slim shuffled toward Jones. Platypus, 3510. That's what he said. Who? Bucky. Don't listen to Bucky's tall story, Slim, said Jones, extending his hand. Slim shook his hand. You're not mad at me? No, no. I'm more upset that you listen to Arnie. Who? Never mind. Have a good week, Slim. No rain. Right. Along the back road toward the ocean, Jones called the county psychiatric hospital. Katrina had not come back to work, but a letter of resignation sat on the administrator's desk. Jones thought about calling Kevin Phillips, but decided that Phillips was already furious. As Jones drove past the cemetery toward St. Bart's, he knew that Warren Carruthers would be alive if he hadn't gone up to Flanagan Field yesterday. Yet, if what Carruthers said was true, Kostecki brought the chute and Lou Marlowe's body on the plane, and Butch Olson flew it over Fletcher Hill. Those who were privy to Lou Marlowe's death or Kostecki's escape were now dead themselves. Everything pointed to Grogan or his accountant, Stu Wingate. Jones spoke out loud as he pulled into the rectory parking lot. Just because you're ordered off an investigation doesn't mean you can't snoop around, Jones. Gallagher had just finished morning mass and held up a cup of coffee in his hand. Jones and his light cockies and sports shirt stepped inside. Coffee, Matthias? I just had a big mama's in the car, Jim. I've made monthly trips with the parish over to Plumley. I'm very good friends with Mrs. Northrup and Nancy Granby. Jones opened the refrigerator. Mind if I have some orange juice, Jim? Help yourself, said Gallagher, placing his cup in the dishwasher. Now, Matthias. Jones opened the small orange juice bottle. Yes, Father. No interrogation. Yes, Father. And no samples out of the garden. Yes, Father. Then he leaned toward Jones. You really think Kostecki killed Lou Marlowe? He didn't. I need to know how he got the Lily of the Valley to Grogan. Gallagher nodded as he opened up the back door and they headed for his black Lincoln in the garage. Why kill Marlowe at all, Matthias? 
On the surface, said Jones, as Gallagher got behind the wheel, the garage door moved up and he started the Lincoln. What about below the surface? That's where Mulvaney and Kimball show up, and Newhauser and Kostecki. My side road theory opens up to other events. Murder. Jones shook his head as the speedy Gallagher backed out of the driveway as if he were performing a car stunt in a movie. Then he accelerated at high speed. Jones held the side handle as he spoke. Could be murder or illicit activity. With shipments coming and going from Flanagan, no doubt that was illegal, which would mean Mulvaney. Kimball is either involved with Grogan or Mulvaney, or maybe Mulvaney and Kimball are in with Grogan. I just don't know. And it would appear that Don Kostecki isn't little goody two-shoes. No, he's not. In a few minutes, Gallagher maneuvered along the shore toward the reeds and marshes, back toward Hamilton. Well, the fact that they want you off the case, Grogan can't control that. Maybe. Ten minutes later, Gallagher pushed onto the crushed shell drive leading up to the multi-storied White House overlooking the bay and the extensive ground covered by flowers and a wide grass expanse. Jones was aware that he at least had to be low-key, lest Herbert Lane arrest him. Gallagher was met on the terrace by the formerly dressed Mrs. Northrop. Her white hair was neatly styled, and she spoke with an uppity Boston accent. Nancy Granby was from Prince William, younger and more affable. Jones studied the upper area that extended down to the beach dunes and terraced by an immense garden with buried plants. George Strickland's home on the bluffs back in Hamilton was visible in the haze to the north. Jones wondered how deep Strickland would be into the Lou Marlowe murder had he not been in Arizona. Mrs. Northrup, whom Jones deemed a major league snob, began her pitter-patter dialogue about her wonderful garden, pausing periodically to adjust her designer glasses. Mr. and Mrs. Plumley were well known for the elite in New York and Boston horticulturists. They were not reticent about their expenditures for the estate. I'm well aware, said Gallagher, of the Plumley's ability to gather plants from around the world. Exactly, father, said Mrs. Northrup as Gallagher followed her down the terrace. You live in Prince William, Mrs. Granby? asked Jones. Oh, no need to be so formal, Mr. Jones, she said, glancing at Mrs. Northrop. Matthias, Matthias, she said, smiling. You must have local species here on the estate. Oh, of course, she said, gesturing to her right. Everything you see on the north side is of New England origin. At this time of year, the rhododendron are spectacular. Jones, still fixated by Flanagan Field and Warren Carruthers' death, nodded. Then he pictured the mangled body of Lou Marlowe crushed in the bushes, already dead from a poison concoction in a bowl of soup from Nuncio's. Well, my mother raised Lily of the Valley. Oh, really? Did she have a large garden? Oh, a small garden in Indiana. She passed when I was very young, but I remember the garden. Oh, what a great memory. Well, you're in luck. Right along the fence over there, she said, walking along the crushed shell driveway. Notice the two large oblong leaves and the tiny bell-shaped flowers. One of the most delicate and beautiful of the lily family. Your mother chose well. May I take photos? Oh, absolutely. Jones smiled and snapped several photos with his phone camera. Then he stared at the tiny bell flowers, astounded that that plant could have killed Lou Marlowe. A private service for Marlowe would be held next week. His wife divorced him years ago and lived in Colorado. 
Jones admired Grogan's cleverness. Lou Marlowe had no reason to think that the soup at Nuncio's would have poisoned spices from her plant in the broth. You know, these flowers are all around, and honestly, I'm guilty of being on the go and not taking the time to appreciate nature. Well, I must confess that women outnumber men four to one in that appreciation over here. Yeah, I have a friend who came over here a couple of times, Donnie Kostecki. Nancy squinted. Oh, blonde-haired man. Jones took out his phone and showed her Kostecki's photo. Yes, that's him. Dawn loved the tours, said Nancy. So he was over here more than once. Oh, a few times. Nancy pointed to Gallagher and Mrs. Northrup, moving back into the house. Would you like some tea? Great. Jones was anxious as they all sat down to tea in the voluminous glassed-in area behind the garden. The long-winded Mrs. Northrup spoke to the interested Gallagher about a series of Japanese plants just acquired. War plants, probably growing year-round, filled the glassed-in room. A full vine with purple flowers encompassed the brick wall. I'm not familiar with that plant, said Jones. must grow year-round. Oh, it's a powerful plant, Mr. Jones, said Mrs. Northrup. And yes, that's why it's protected inside. Actually, said Nancy, it's a vine indigenous to South Asia called the elephant creeper. So inside it does grow year-round. Its seeds have hallucinogenic properties, said Mrs. Northrup. The plant can reach past 30 feet. Is that legal? asked Jones. Oh, yes, said Nancy. Can you believe it? It has LSA, lysergic acid amide. What? asked Jones as the Kostecki incident at the airport became clear. A similar chemical structure to LSD with strikingly similar psychedelic manifestations. Jones leaned forward. Have you ever... Mrs. Northrup motioned with her hands. Oh, no, no, no. Scary stuff, said Jones. There's no telling what someone might do if they took in the right proportions. Jones's phone rang. Excuse me. Yes, of course, Mr. Jones. Jones moved through the side doors and into the garden. Jones, this is Herbert Lane. Herbert. I need an additional statement from you about what happened up at Flanagan Field. You are obstructing justice, especially with Newhauser dead. Herbert, is Kevin Phillips in the building? Are you listening to me, Jones? I figured out how Grogan poisoned Lou Marlowe and Don Kostecki. What the hell are you talking about? Grogan ate with Lou Marlowe and Mulvaney at Nuncio's, and one of them spiked Marlowe's soup with a poison. Lily of the Valley, I know. I read the autopsy report. I'm shocked. Shut up, Jones. And Kostecki went wild at the airport because of the hallucinogenic effects of another plant. Now, how do you know that? Because I am at the Plumley Estate at Denton Flats. I'm sending men over there to arrest you, Jones, and lock you in the darkest corner of the county jail. Both plants are right here in the botanical gardens. After a long silence, Jones spoke up. Are you there, Herbert? Are you there, Herbert? Are you sure of this? Do you want to make the bust? Believe my comments about the county jail. The line went dead. Herbert would be over as soon as he notified the TV stations. Jones stared across the garden at the lily of the valley. Then he opened the door and re-entered the room. 
Within seconds, the estate's landline rang. Mrs. Northrup lifted up the receiver. Plumley Gardens and Museum, she said. Oh, Herbert. Well, yes, of course. Yes, I... Well, yes, I'll be here. Would you like some of that brandy mixture? Yes, that brandy mixture I make. Good, good. See you then. Everything all right? asked Nancy. That was Herbert Lane. He wants to come over. So exciting. In his front office, Coco studied the paperwork. Come on in, Jonesy. I'll be done in a sec. Coco, I have information. Listen, there's more going on here. What, the Driscoll is up at Flanagan during the shootout with Neuhauser? He asked, checking the receipts. No, that's not it. The rodent always shows up like a bad penny, Jonesy. Your lucky Lane didn't lock you up. I now know Kostecki did go over to Plumley Gardens. That's how he got the plant to Grogan to kill Lou Marlowe. You know that, Jonesy? He said, looking up. Nancy Granby recognized his picture on my phone. Finally, the old man's going to love you for the rest of your life. No, there's more. There's a plant inside that estate that contains a form of LSD. LSD? Somehow Grogan found out about it. That's why Kostecki went wild at work. They put him at the county psychiatric hospital, and then Stu got him out. I don't know why. Katrina was only there for days, enough time to sign him in. <laughs> or maybe let him out. I don't know, but I called Herbert Lane. He'll be all over this. Coco's cell phone rang. Yeah, what is it, Dulio? Are you kidding me? What, are they all trigger-happy? No, no, meet me at the club. Jones stepped toward Coco. Who's dead now? Kostecki and Stewie. A shootout on the tarmac at Prince William Airport. Did they have a plane? Where's Olson? asked Jones. Mulvaney and his merry band of men. Kostecki and Stewie were ordered to stop, and when they didn't, Mulvaney ordered his men to open fire. It'll be on the news. Who cares, Jonesy? They're dropping like flies. Jones fell back in the leather recliner. Too many people dead. I sat talking with Carruthers one minute, and he drank the Jim Beam, and then he wiped his mouth with that AMS handkerchief. Then he's dead. AMS? Not important. Yeah, it's important. What did he wipe his mouth with? A handkerchief. Coco stood. His dark eyes were intense as he approached the recliner. A bright red handkerchief? No, faded red. Embroidered? Right. Jonesy, those are my brother's initials. That was his signature, the red handkerchief. I never saw it up there in the shack. I didn't see it when you were there either. Coco's eyes filled and his voice quivered. My brother was dealing drugs. Lots of drugs, okay? He had multiple sources. I didn't like it. I argued with Anthony the day he disappeared. I didn't know. I went down to New York City, Jonesy, with Uncle Dulio. We couldn't find Anthony. Just gang members who lied through their teeth. No record of Anthony traveling to New York. But he had been there. There were shootouts back then, and an FBI guy died. Really? You know what? I'm going to fix these bastards. All of them. What are you going to do? Bruno opened the door to the club. Coco. What is it, Bruno? Herbert Lane is on the TV about the Marlowe case. You're kidding. Coco flipped the remote. This is what I've been trying to tell you, Coco. 
Jones watched the flat screen on the wall of Coco's office. The announcer said Judge Daniel Freneau had issued a court order allowing Herbert Lane and his team to search the garden and solarium of the Plumley estate. Herbert stood on the street in front of the multi-winged mansion. At least 20 reporters formed a semicircle around the district attorney. I have just returned from a fact-finding mission after deciding to expand my investigation of the death of businessman Louis Marlowe of Prince William. We are confident that new evidence has been produced by my office. What a liar, said Coco, walking up to the screen. This clown would sell out his mother if it meant being re-elected. Well, you can tell Hamilton that it's all coming to roost on Sean Grogan. Coco lit a cigarette. Wherever the hell Grogan is, he's still the only one alive. I would like to thank my assistant district attorney, Roland Chance, for his diligent and meticulous examination of the potential evidence. All evidence will be evaluated in future judicial proceedings. All he cares about is the next election, said Jones. I don't hear anything about Grogan or Mulvaney. Coco shut off the set with the remote. Listen, Jonesy, I think, and I never knew this until we found out about Flanagan. I think now that Anthony was flown out of Flanagan and ended up in New York. What can you do about it? Nothing. As long as this case gets exposure, they're probably watching me right now. He has to be dead. Yeah, but my heart says Anthony's alive, Jonesy. Bruno stuck his head inside the office. Mulvaney's here. The hell does he want? asked Coco. Jones leaped to his feet. He's got some answering to do. He wants to talk to both of you. This guy's getting on my nerves, said Coco. Well, I'm not too happy about him either. Coco and Jones moved into the club. Mulvaney, in his maroon blazer, was seated along the bar. Coco yelled out as he walked, Hey, chick, just what's your problem? Then Jones chimed in. Target practice at the airport, chick? They were all ordered to stop. They were a public danger. Yeah, sure they were, said Coco. And why was Randy Newhauser shooting at me up at Flanagan? Jones, you were supposed to stay out of this. If you weren't up there, you wouldn't have got shot at. I don't need you in the club, chick. Get out of here. Mulvaney stepped toward Coco. You and I both know that Fiore and your brother were close. Yeah, I'm close to Mr. Fiore, too. So what? You leave my brother out of this. Fiore is a very disgruntled man. He doesn't like to take a loss. What's the point, chick? I think you and I both know what the point is, Coco. I don't know nothing. And you, Jones, I'm aware of the work your father did and how you seem to have inherited some of his investigative attributes. You keep hanging around here long enough and you'll cross a line where you can't come back. You let me worry about that, said Jones. That's enough, said Coco. I'll put you behind bars, Stefani, and you'll end up like your brother. You don't threaten me, you bastard, shouted Coco as he started to rush Mulvaney. Jones leaped forward and locked his arm around Coco's chest and pushed him to the wall. With friends like him, Jones, said Mulvaney. Let me at him, Jonesy. Yeah, Jonesy, let him at me, <laughs> said Mulvaney, laughing. Think you better leave, chick, said Jones. Go back to Nuncio's and sample the soup. I know you were asking questions in Nuncio's. Yeah, ask your buddy Katrina Kimball, said Jones. She was right there. But then again, you already know that. 
should have minded your own goddamn business, Jones. Mulvaney stared and said nothing more as he left. With Jones still holding Coco, Mulvaney exited through the front doors. That broad is in the middle of this, too, said Coco. You hit a nerve with Mulvaney when you mentioned your name. Mulvaney looks, as my dad used to say, like he's juggling ten things at once, all of them bad. I've had it with this son of a bitch and his innuendos, said Coco as he retreated to his office and pulled out his black magnum. He's in on this New York crap, too, Jonesy. You're not going to kill him, are you? Coco looked at the front doors. It depends. Jones stood on George Strickland's deck, overlooking the Atlantic late that afternoon. For half an hour, Jones had recounted the deadly events since Strickland had left to visit his sister in Arizona. And Hamilton is back in town? George, I have no idea where Hamilton is, and Lou Marlowe's murder is one big mess. We flew into the airport right after the FBI sting. That was no sting. I think Mulvaney wanted those people dead. That makes no sense, Matthias. Neither does Anthony Stefani's death. Anthony was into drugs since he was in middle school. He spent time at a federal facility maybe ten years ago. There was talk of FBI corruption, if that's what you mean. Chick Mulvaney? No, Mike Donovan. Donovan was killed by the Chachiette gang. Something about money from a drug sale. They got him in Rhode Island, right after Anthony disappeared. I don't know about Mulvaney. Strickland's wife brought Jones another beer. Thanks, Mary. Did you have a good time out west? Too hot. It was too hot, said Strickland. He turned to Jones when Mary went back in the kitchen. Somebody sold out Anthony. Then he is dead. Very probable. You're hesitating. Don Pacheco told me when I was over at PWPD that Anthony was seen in Brooklyn, New York, two years after he disappeared. Coco borrowed Dorothy Fletcher's Mercedes because it had New York plates. He was down there for a long time looking for Anthony. He never found him. Coco's not into the drug scene, probably because of Anthony. But Anthony was his brother. Everyone said Mrs. Fletcher was a nice lady. Strickland nodded. It destroyed Hamilton. That's why he's so short-tempered. And it happened in New York. Dorothy was from a prominent family in Rochester. She met Hamilton at Princeton. She was a journalist and doing an article on recent college grads. I have to say they really loved each other. Jones leaned forward. How do you drive over a gorge? Strickland flashed his look of disbelief, hanging his mouth open and popping his eyes. You don't. Police up there found scrapes on the bumper as if another car might have pushed her. My opinion is they didn't mean to plow her over the edge. There's a wide curve before the gorge. I've been up there. If you don't know the area, you could easily think you're forcing the car off the road. But then, you have no idea what's around the corner. Weren't there signs? Sure, but if you're forcing a car off the road, you're not paying attention to road signs, Matthias. How far was the drop? Several hundred feet. She was killed instantly. Jones stroked his chin. And don't tell me you have a side road theory about this. I'm not sure. What was below? Water and rocks. Roads? Sure, Clifford Street, by the warehouses along the water. There was a plaza and a park, and then houses. It was during the day. No witnesses to the crash. George, why would someone try to force Dorothy Fletcher off the road anyway? I could never figure that out.
The lady never pissed off anyone in her whole life. Okay, then it had to be something else. What are you saying? What did Dorothy Fletcher have or know? Strickland shook his head. Nothing. Jones turned toward the ocean. Now he was revved up about Mrs. Fletcher's death. The wave crests broke like dominoes, falling all the way toward Prince William. Don't even try and figure it out, Matthias. Hamilton has driven himself crazy trying to understand it. I still can't figure out this Lou Marlowe thing. George, were you aware of Flanagan Field? Not in its present incarnation. I remember my dad taking me over there when I was a young kid. They were still flying small planes out of there. Then I guess it all faded away with no commercial flights. It was a good gig for Grogan. Maybe Marlowe. Think about it, George. Fly whatever you want and wherever you want. With whatever you want. Who would guess, asked Strickland, if everything was overgrown. Somebody flew Anthony Stefani out of there five years ago. That was before you took over for Locke, Matthias. Jones shook his head. By the way, I saw Herbert's news conference from the Plumley estate where you found the poisons. Let me tell you this about Grogan. He tried to buy up at least a dozen businesses for Lou Marlowe over the years. Hamilton squelched every one of them with LG. But now we're talking about murder. And you're saying Grogan killed Marlowe and hired Kostecki to shove the body out of the plane. And Olson flew the plane, and Randy Newhouser probably was involved. And now he's dead at Flanagan Field. Also, Grogan could control Lou Marlowe's empire. Strickland's eyes tightened. Why do you keep bringing him up? Because he keeps harassing Coco, and he shows up everywhere. Is there some FBI operation going on? No one told me anything. Mary ran out of the kitchen, holding the cordless phone. George, it's Don Pacheco calling from PWPD. Tell him I'll get back to him, Mary. He says it's important. Oh, for Pete's sakes, we just got back. Strickland took the phone. Yes, Dom. No, I'm home. What? His eyes glossed over and a crevice formed on his forehead. Are you sure? Where do you want me to meet you? Right. I'll tell him. What is it, George? Asked Jones as Strickland gripped the phone and, and had not hung up. Matthias. Matthias, they just pulled Coco's vet out of one of the tidal pools south of the city. There's blood all over the seats and the dash. Eleven bullet holes. Jones's chilled face stopped in motion like a single film frame. No, this can't be. Strickland shook his head. The car was in the marshes, and when the tide came in, well, he must have been washed out to sea, Matthias. Jones slowly turned, his eyes moist. I don't believe it, and I won't believe it until I see Coco's body. At dusk, Jones and Strickland arrived amidst dozens of cars scattered across the dirt and grass surrounding the tidal marsh. Coco's vet sat atop a flatbed wrecker. Even from the cruiser, Jones saw the fiberglass riddled with bullet holes cross the trunk and the rear glass. Jones's heart pounded harder than any time in his life. Even when he heard about his father's death, the adrenaline never approached this out-of-control emotion. Don Pacheco, in full uniform, first saw Jones. The dark-haired Pacheco stepped away from the car and met a frantic Jones halfway. Where the hell is Coco, Dom? You haven't found a body yet, Matthias. 
He started to block Jones, but Jones plowed forward and began climbing up on the flatbed. Hey, you can't go up there, shouted a cop he didn't know. He grabbed Jones's leg, and Jones thrust his other leg hard, sending the officer to the ground. Jones heard him bark from behind. Freeze, you son of a bitch! Let him be, cried Pacheco. Jones ran his fingers along the punctured fiberglass. He placed his palms on the smooth fenders, which soon became littered with more bullet holes. The eerie light had a cold, haunting reality. Moisture dripped slowly from the upper cracked windshield. Blood, like the calling card for death, was smeared in splotches on the dash and speedometer. Jones dropped to his knees and fell against his elbows on the open window. Matthias, Matthias, said Strickland. Jones bashed his fist on the window frame. Matthias, come down. Jones kept his head buried in his hands. You have to get him away from that car, George, said Pacheco. Strickland locked both arms around Jones's legs and lifted him down to the ground. He steered Jones away from the car as a few photographic flashes lit the approaching night. Someone handed Strickland a styrofoam coffee cup as he sat Jones in the back of an open SUV. It had to be Grogan. It had to be Grogan. Strickland handed the coffee to him, and Jones just held the cup with both hands. Why do you say that? Clayton Morris, his gray beard visible in the twilight, moved toward the car with a half a dozen forensic technicians. George, Jones said in a low voice, I spotted Coco's brother Anthony's handkerchief up at Flanagan Field. Strickland raised his left brow. Well, that's rather unusual, unless Anthony was on an illicit drug run. It was a dress handkerchief, the kind you might wear with a tux. You don't dress up for a plane run. My bet is Grogan somehow found out. Strickland nodded, and then he thought as he studied Clayton and the others by the vet. Possible. Maybe Mulvaney. Matthias, I know you're upset, but it's over the top blaming the FBI. Is it? asked Jones, his eyes still moist. Where's the body, George? This is a low, tidal flat area. Even with the vet in the water, I doubt Coco's body would even be dislodged from the vet. Thias, you're hoping for something that may not exist. I need to talk to his mother and Uncle Dulio. I can check and see if they've been called. The overweight Kip Bosco, striped shirt following the contours of his tubby gut, inhaled on his cigarette one final time and then cast the butt to the dirt. With a donut in his other hand, Bosco shuffled toward Jones. He had a gawking smile on his reddened face. Hey, Coachie, Strickland turned behind him. Just a matter of time before Stefani hit the wall. Shut up, Kip. Remember, scum floats to the surface. Jones dropped the coffee cup and leaped from the SUV. With one wide right hook, he sent Bosco back toward Strickland and across the dirt. Bosco lay back for a few seconds, but as he tried to rise, he stumbled forward and bounced on his stomach. Jones felt no satisfaction by popping Kip Bosco. He was too stunned to feel anything. Pacheco brought Jones back to the mobile police unit RV. The inside tube lights blazed over the computers and the desks. Krim stood as Jones was ushered inside. Matthias, Jones merely nodded. Can I get you anything? Jones shook his head and sat in a chair in the front window. I'll be with Clayton, said Pacheco. What about Kip? asked Crimmins. Pacheco fought a grin. Kip is uh, at the PW Medical Center for observation. 
Krim glanced at Jones and nodded. Jones turned back toward the numerous headlights outside. The vet was visible in the indirect light on the flatbed. Jones's heart still beat against his ribs. Where was the body? Out of the corner of his eye, Father Gallagher, still wearing a Roman collar, ducked his head and entered the trailer. His eyes were swollen. He and Jones stared at each other for several seconds. He's gone, Jim. You need to uh, get out of here, Matthias, and back to Hamilton. Do you know about the handkerchief? No. We found Coco's brother's handkerchief in an abandoned airfield. Gallagher's astonished expression seemed to hover before Jones's eyes. Anthony is dead. Well, apparently he was running drugs out of Flanagan Field. We've hiked up there with our teenage group. Well, it used to be a real airfield years ago. Someone, probably Sean Grogan and Lou Marlowe, flew planes out of that small field. Anthony was flown to New York City. Maybe. I should have grabbed that handkerchief, said Jones. And I told Coco about the handkerchief. I feel like I got him all revved up. Can't blame yourself, Matthias. Coco made whatever decision he made. You're right. It was Mulvaney. He came into the club and taunted Coco. Coco thinks, thought Mulvaney was in with Grogan. Well, who is Mulvaney? FBI. Gallagher lowered his voice. Did you send Kip Bosco to the canvas in one punch? Is he all right? He will be, said Krim up front. You really shook him up. Well, he started in on me and called Coco scum. Don't worry, Dom says there's not going to be any charges. Krim, I need to get outside and get some air. Krim nodded. Father, stay with him. I will. Jones opened the door and stepped onto the dirt. Gallagher shut the door behind him. Jones checked the vet again and then turned to Gallagher. I want revenge. And that's going to bring Coco back. Say it, Jim. Gallagher grabbed his shoulders. And what did revenge ever get anyone? Matthias, it'll get you killed. Jones spotted Clayton Morris walking to the medical examiner's van. He broke Gallagher's grip and darted between the police behind the yellow crime tape. Clayton! Clayton stopped. His gray eyes looked distant. Blood samples and bullets, possibly a 9mm, 16 bullets. We'll check all the prints. I know you two were close. Where's the body? Well, it could have floated out when the tide came in. Coast Guard has boats out on the channel and along the coast. The windows were open. Yes, they were. Maybe that's what they wanted. Let the body get taken out by the currents. I don't see any signs of struggle and much of the blood has been washed away. I think someone shot from behind and then got in the car and finished him off. Thias, you look like hell. Clayton, I feel like hell. Newhauser is dead. Jones learns that Don Kostecki brought the chute with the cut cords to Flanagan Field where an unconscious Lou Marlowe was loaded upon the plane piloted by Olson. Jones travels to the garden club later with Father Gallagher and discovers important information. Kostecki went crazy at the airport because of an LSD type plant which was located in the garden at the garden club. Kostecki and Stu later are killed at the Prince William Airport from a shootout from the FBI's Chick Mulvaney. Anthony's handkerchief is found at Flanagan Field. Anthony must have been flown out of Flanagan to New York. Jones is stunned when Coco's vet 
laced with bullet holes, is found in a tidal pool. Next time we'll answer the ultimate question, where's the body? That will be in episode four of Anthony's Story by Robert P. Fitton. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com, or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.